Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dave Menkowski. Dave is currently the Executive Director for Chapman Basketball Academy, and he operates the South Division. As part of his role with Chapman, he coaches teams, does skill training with an emphasis on shooting. Dave grew up in the Milwaukee area. He was a standout high school player at Martin Luther High School in Milwaukee. He then attended Marquette University for college. His previous coaching experience is at Martin Luther and Milwaukee Hamilton High School, UW Parkside, Pure Sweat Basketball, and he was the founder of Milwaukee Lynx Basketball. Dave, welcome to the show, and thanks for your time to come on. I'm excited to talk more about basketball today. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, happy to be here. Absolutely. So for starters, I know that uh, you had a bit of a unique journey into coaching um, with a lot of time spent in the corporate world before you got uh, got into the basketball side. Um, so how did you end up getting into basketball coaching? Um, when I graduated from Martin Luther and was going to college, I actually went to UW-Lacrosse my first few years. Um, I could either play baseball or basketball or both, and I decided to, to go pitch up at lacrosse. So I spent my first two years up at lacrosse. Um, but then I decided, actually it was decided for me. I ended up getting in a, uh, uh, car accident and having some spinal, uh, a surgery. So I was, uh, kind of knocked out of sports for a little bit and wanted to stay connected. So I went back to my alma mater and coached at Martin Luther and then did some coaching at uh, Milwaukee Hamilton where my brother-in-law, uh, was coaching. So I did some things early on in my twenties with coaching then ended up getting back into the kind of the real world and having to make money and, you know, getting a, a sales job. And I kind of fell into uh, business. And then when I, after I got married and my stepdaughter started playing basketball, Paige, she started in fourth grade and um, uh, it was great. She was playing. I went to support the coach at the time um, who started the team did did a really good job in starting the team and I offered I said hey if you ever need any help on court let me know I played a little bit and I think a couple weeks in it was uh coach Kelly did all the admin and I ended up doing all the on court and really after after coaching fourth grade girls I I I was going to hang it up I'm like I'm going to pass <laughs> these guys on these girls on to somebody else because the amount of patience and the amount of time it takes to to be good, I mean, you can you can have been a, a really good player and a really good athlete, but then trying to teach and trying to be organized and trying to communicate with, um, um, gosh, how old would they have been? Nine year olds at that time, you know, that's uh, uh, that was different for me. So, um, but then my wife talked me into coming back for the fifth grade, and I did that. And halfway through, I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna do this again. And my wife said, Oh, you should just do them, you know, all the way up to eighth grade. And I kind of wow so okay i maybe let me let me see what happens and i think by the time it was the end of our fifth grade year you started to see things click and as the girls matured and you know i had good relationships with the parents and it just got in my blood to the point where 
I was on YouTube and looking for trying to go to coach the next ever opportunity could, and it became um, almost a full time job. Just you know, trying to be the best that I could, I could be, you know, at that and 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 do everything the right way. So um, I just made a lot of connections, and it got in my blood, and I just ended up um, eventually liking more of the skill development part as opposed to the tournaments and the games and some of the pressures that went along with, uh, you know, winning and things like that. And, um, yeah, so I kind of navigated through that and ended up with, um, pure sweat basketball, um, because I really liked the, the, the development side. As I kind of went through that journey, I saw that there were great people involved with programs and coaching and select teams and <clears throat> excuse me, grade school teams and things like that. But there wasn't enough emphasis on the skill development part. And that's kind of when I shifted gears a little bit. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. I think, uh, obviously coaching your kids is a, is a great, great way to, uh, to, to get into it and a, a fun way to, you know, connect and have that, have that relationship. So, so very cool. Um, so now I know you're with uh, Chapman basketball South. So could you tell me us a little bit more about that program and, uh, what you guys are doing and what your kind of goals are and what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah. So Joe and I, uh, after Joe Chapman got done playing in overseas, he started doing training um, kind of on, a, on the side over the summers and um, uh, in the Mequon area in Fort Washington. And I was basically doing the same thing on the south side. Um, I was with Pure Sweat, so doing the skills training. And then I, was, I had a small AAU club, uh, Milwaukee Lynx. And Todd Townsend, I believe, I think it was Todd who introduced us and kind of electronically introduced us and said, Hey, you guys should talk. And Joe and I, I think through social media, you obviously look at what each other is doing and what the similarities are. And you're kind of, you do your homework a little bit and we decided to have coffee. And I think our 45 minute meeting lasted, you know, three hours by the time we were done. And, um, we ended up just every two weeks scheduling another meeting and lunches and breakfast and, and, and stuff. And, you know, 50% basketball and 50% everything else that, you know, as a parent and, you know, as a leader and, and things we wanted to accomplish and things we saw that were really positive and maybe really negative with the atmospheres that we were in and the, the, the circles that we were in and the programs that we were with or, or knew about. Um, and we decided to partner. Um, so on the South side, we have 14 academy teams, which is we don't like to use the word academy. We, or I'm sorry, AAU, but we use academy. Um, and, and it's basically we play on the AAU circuit, but we focus heavily on character and skill development. Um, and so we do the academy teams. We also do skill development and training and leagues and things that are open to anybody, regardless of skill level. So we don't have to have the elite of the elite. You know, we'll take, um, we'll do little dribblers and we'll do six to eight year olds and bring them into the gym and make sure they're having fun and, uh, you know, try to be the best leaders that we can be and surround these kids with the best role models and the best coaches that, that we can find um, to create that love of the game. And then the way we look at it is if we're doing our job right as coaches and skill development people and leaders within an organization, we're going to attract good people and people that are in our program for the right reason so that it's more about team and community and helping other people. You know, obviously we want really high competitive kids with high motors and 
uh, competitive to the point where they want to succeed individually, but within the context of a team and an organization. So, um, so yeah, we have 14 teams on the South side and, and I live in Hales corner. So, you know, Whitnall and, uh, New Berlin, Oak Creek, Franklin up to McGuanagall, actually all the way up to Lake Geneva. We've got some, some players in Badger that, that come down in Burlington and then chill basically has kind of that Mequon area and Port Washington and Grafton and Cedarburg. And then um, we're bringing on uh, Chapman Basketball Academy North. And we've got three or four teams that are starting up a little bit further north up in uh, the Fond du Lac area. Um, so we're excited. We've, we've, um, it's a lot of work. We've grown fast, um, yeah. which is great because we've got great people. We've got Steve Novak involved. We've got obviously Joe, we've got, um, Travis Diener and, and a lot of these guys are winding down their playing career and want to get involved and want to be leaders and, and they've played and they know what it takes to succeed at a high level, not just as basketball players, but as people that have gone obviously to a great university um, and you kind of bring that mission and kind of bring those values to uh, our organization. So it's um, we're all on the same page, which is fun. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I mean, you know, I think that's what sometimes gets missed in youth sports is that um, the kids that, I mean, it'd be great if every kid could go play a division one and get a full scholarship and play professional sports. But the the ones that get the opportunity to do that, it's just so few and far between, but what they can really take out of that is that some of those leadership skills, those um, the hard work, the competition, being part of a team, you know, those are lifelong and Mm -hmm. it transfers outside of, outside of sports as, as you know into the corporate world and things like that absolutely i mean that's sports is a sports is a great vehicle i think it's it's you know and, and for us it's obviously basketball but it's a vehicle to provide like you said those leadership skills uh servant leadership is something that we really um we really preach you know going and running and picking up your teammate and you know being there for them and and i mean that's how teams win championships that's how uh, you know, Starbucks becomes Starbucks and, you know, the corporate world or, or a successful business person becomes a successful person. I mean, there's the right way to do things, um, doing it the hard, uh, you know, maybe the hard way, um, maybe not the easy route and looking out for other people other than just themselves. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been great. That's, uh, that's awesome. Well, that kind of leads us into my next question uh, almost perfectly. So, I'd be interested in uh, your current take on the youth athlete um, scene, both as a parent and a, and a coach now. So it's there's school sports, travel clubs, year round skill training, physical fitness training, summer camps, uh, just seems like the list goes on and on and on. Um, what do you see? Uh, we'll kind of ask both sides of this question, but let's start with uh, what do you see being done well right now with, with uh, youth athlete development? I think the things that are the things that are being done uh, that are really really good is you have a lot more skill development people out there now. Um, some really good, some okay. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there, um, but I think any program or any club, uh, as a parent, you've really got to vet them out in terms of who's involved and why they're involved. And what is your, um, what's your, do your homework. Mm -hmm. So the way I look at it as a parent, if I'm going to go buy a car, I'm going to, and I think I'm going to do it 
I'm going to pull the trigger in three months or six months or whatever it is. I'm going to be doing a lot of research because there's, there's a lot of money um, that there's a lot of cost involved. Let's put it that way. And so there are things where um, you can, you know, obviously you can go online and do research, but the biggest thing is talking to people and seeing who's involved and what they're doing, what they're doing well, and is kind of look at it like an ROI perspective. Yeah. So first of all, is your child going to have fun? You know, obviously at the earlier ages, you don't want to turn a child off. That's, that's because they're over competitive. It's too competitive. Um, so I think the programs that do well, they create a sense of community and they create a sense of there's winning. You want to teach the value of winning and how to prepare to win. Uh, and I think there's some really good programs that do that. And, but you also want to keep them coming back. So you want to keep them loving the game, not necessarily winning. You don't want to overvalue championships and things like that. You in winning at an early age, you just want them to really like it and keep coming back because if they like it and keep coming back, they're going to want to practice, you know, and play hard and they're going to want to be in the gym with you or their, their teammates. So, um, that, and, and I think they're having a lot of options is a good thing. I just think it takes, it's just really difficult to navigate. I think of me as a parent and as a coach, uh, I played AU basketball in 85 through 88, where, you know, you had to win, you had to go through, you played on your school team and then there was AAU and those were really the only two options that you had. Yeah. Like you said, now you've got 11 months, 12 months out of the year where you got a club, say it's soccer, volleyball, basketball, every sport really falls into that category. But then it's how do you navigate through that as a parent and understand which program is going to fit your child and their goals and, yeah. and not your goals as a parent, because that's a whole nother can of worms that we can talk about. <laughs> um, but, but your child. Yeah. And what I've done with mine is, I've exposed them to different things and then let them make the decision right before I, and, and really have a conversation with your child before you spend a thousand dollars on a club program when they're 10 years old. Like, is that really the way, is that really what you should be doing? You know? Um, and then I think the, the good programs in really good youth sports clubs are transparent with families and with, with players more so with at the earlier ages with parents and letting them know where their child is and saying, Hey, I, I know you tried out for this team, but I think you're better off for the next year or two is just really getting them in the gym and getting them with the right coaches, being a shooting coach, being, you know, what, whatever skill development person that they are or watching videos. It doesn't even have to be, you know, it can be online and things like that, but really get them um, focused on the skill part and be good at the, some of the skills and then kind of get them into that next tier where they're, they're going to compete more. Now you've got, you know, you've got the upwards, you've got your Catholic school and Lutheran school teams, you've got your club or select, you know, your district teams that are supposed to be high level, but really that's, that whole umbrella has kind of opened up and that world's opened up to where anybody can play. And um, so then that means you've got how many coaches, if you've got, if you're a, a district and you have a select team and you're charging three or $400 for that player to play, 
what kind of experience are they getting out of it? Is yep. it, are they getting proper skill development? Are they playing to win tournaments and they're traveling all over the place? Um, I don't know if I answered your question. It's kind of, it's really, it's really tricky in terms yeah. of, you know, what's, what's positive right now versus what the good thing is you, you've got guys like we talked about Steve Becker and athlete performance who are just awesome at what they do. Uh, we want to be awesome at what we do in terms of encompassing and having a spot for everybody. Um, no matter how competitive they are. Yeah. Um, and then it's a matter of finding people that are really, really good or want to be really, really good at teaching and coaching. Um, and I think any program you can judge by the leadership at the top, but then who your child is going to play for and what their motivation is, yeah. their reputation is. Yeah. So there's a lot more homework I think you have to do now as opposed to when we grew up where you just went and you played and that yeah. was the experience you had. And if you had a good coach, that's awesome. Like you lucked out, you know, now you just got to navigate it a little bit more. But I think as long as we create passionate athletes uh, about a sport or multiple sports, um, that's good. And I think the other thing is too, is, is promoting multiple sports so that there isn't a specialization. I mean, I don't know about you, but I played whatever season it was, that's what sport I played. Not yeah. necessarily in an organized fashion. It could have been, you know, tackle football at the park during football in the fall. And it was basketball in the winter and it was baseball in the summer. Yeah. You know? Um, and so no. I think that, that as parents and as coaches that we need to promote that. And I think once a child or a player knows like my dream is this, I don't think parents should hold them back, but I think they should also have other physical things that they're doing, whether it's tennis or golf or swimming or track or, you know, playing on the middle school, um, whatever team, just to take a break mentally from that. Like, I don't believe in 12 months out of the year, one sport. Yeah. No, I, I think the, what we see in our clinic, I think the words getting out there that um, kids are supposed to play multiple sports. Um, we're seeing it more and more. However, the, the problem that we're seeing with it is that they're playing multiple sports at one time. So um, I, I think the, the words getting out that multiple sports are good. What right. we're trying to do now is, I mean, we had a, a athlete in our office the other day that's playing um, at, at the, I think, uh, like somewhere 12 to 14 years old, something like that. They're playing um, uh, volleyball, cross country, um, basketball, and doing uh, futsal and soccer uh, at the same time. And it's yeah. like, okay, I'm like, <laughs> the multiple sports thing is awesome. Let's keep that going, right? But uh, let's maybe play like soccer during soccer season and basketball during basketball season and kind of break them up a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head that, and I've seen that too, where I've had a player, really, really good athlete playing soccer 11 and a half months out of the year, like yeah. playing futsal and then going to workouts and then coming to our practice and they're limping into practice and <clears throat> parents are like, well, why, why did my son or daughter only get, you know, 22 minutes? She's the best player. I'm like, well, her body's, you know, their body is breaking down and they can't perform at that level. So yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You, yeah. you've have your sport that you're really focused on. And maybe, maybe that's maybe nine months out of the year, that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But then three months should be 
something else entirely entirely different so that mentally and physically you're you're giving your body a break absolutely I think we, we kind of got uh, into it a little bit there, but uh, what, what else do you see as other areas of, uh, that we could change or improve on the youth athlete development side right now? I think on the, if I'm talking just about basketball, um, one of the things is a couple of different things as far as what I would change or I think some, maybe that hinder mm-hmm. in, uh, a sh- looking at it as a shooting coach is – for one, we're getting players involved in too high of a level of um, competition at a young age to the point where the three-point line comes into play. Whereas, I don't know how old you are, but when I grew up, I think eighth grade was when the three-point line like got adapted to all different, all different levels. So I had to be able to shoot the right way within 10 feet you know what I mean like I had to shoot from six feet eight feet 10 feet 12 feet and I really didn't start shooting that three-point shot until early high school or or late late junior high and now you're seeing programs that are taking on like high level programs that are taking on second graders third graders um, and they're playing in three tournaments a day right and these players if they're not being taught the right way how to shoot the basketball and do some of these things their mechanics of shooting just they're 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 broken before they you know they can get to fourth and fifth grade um i mean job security for me i guess but that's not really what that's not really i don't think is good for good for the game whereas when i grew up we had our 10-foot hoop and my dad put an eight-foot hoop up and so when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I was shooting on an eight foot hoop. And I understand the limitations in terms of facilities and obviously, you know, being able to put a hoop down to, to eight feet or nine feet in different gyms, it's not always feasible. But I think uh, if you are going to introduce a second grade team or a third grade team, those baskets need to be, those baskets need to be lower mm-hmm. and the three point line I don't think should be introduced until maybe like sixth grade. Yeah. If I had my way. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, I think that's awesome. That's something that doesn't get talked about enough. I don't think is, I mean, we shrink the court size. We do some of this other stuff. I'll leave basketball for a second, but like mm-hmm. the craziest thing for me is that like in baseball, the, the little league team and right. the, and the big leaguers play with the same baseball. The, the seams oh, yeah. might be different, but it's the same weight. It's some of the stuff and you're like, no other sport, like, you know, your, your second graders aren't playing with the NBA basketball. It's a smaller ball. Right. Um, we can make such a difference. And, you know, in golf, it's playing with getting juniors playing junior clubs. It's right. You know, we can do this in all these sports and just so important to set the kids up to have success and build those good habits and, and just make it easier for them. Let them, let them have fun. Right. Yeah, the injury prevention too. I think, you know, you think about Little League Baseball and when I played at nine, 10 years old, I wasn't playing on, uh, you know, a major league sized, um, you know, I wasn't pitching from where a major league pitcher would pitch 60 feet, six inches. You know, you're, you're, so they got that right. Um, But other, you know, golfer, when I started golfing, I was, I started on par threes and eventually worked my way up to, you know, going to 
brown deer or whatever it was. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think basketball should hopefully, you know, I, I think that's the way it should be done, but I think there's a lot of, I don't know if it's money. That's, that's uh, a driving factor. Um, but um, there's a lot of clubs and programs that want to start earlier and earlier. And if they do, I think that's great. Yeah. But then limit the number of games played and really focus on fun and skill development. Yeah. So finding a way to mesh those two together where there's competition, there's fun and major, major skill development. And I know, you know, for example, um, Rich Soslowski, who's the uh, CEO of Pure Sweat, I believe he didn't let his son play on a team until he was like 11, like maybe fifth or sixth or seventh grade, you know, he held him back and said, you've got to be able to have the skills down first before you go and play. And I, I, I totally think that's the right way. And even with my daughter, who we had a rule, my youngest Brooklyn, who's 11 now, um, our rule was only that you had to play a team sport. And she got dragged to a lot of my practices with my older daughter Paige or my um, skill sessions or my camps where she was there. And she said, dad, I'm sorry. I just, I hate basketball. And I said, Oh, you know, my heart was obviously, you know, you know, my sport, but that's okay. You know, we said, you do whatever you want. And we exposed her to soccer and she fell in love with soccer. And I don't know a thing about soccer really. I think I played one year when I was in third grade and I know you can't use your hands, you know, and I know I, I understand the concepts, but, um, Fortunately, she had a really, really good um, uh, coach for her first year, her rec coach, who taught skills, taught her to play the right way. Um, they had fun, and she's played two years. And now, after seeing her oldest daughter, Paige, play um, varsity basketball, she's like, Dad, I think I might want to play basketball. Yeah. And then I said, okay, so if that's, if that's what you want to do, uh, then you're going to come to my shooting clinic and you're going to do shooting so that you get it. And I don't think she wanted to, but then she understood like, wow, I learned a lot. Yeah, you know? absolutely. The other kids are coming to you too. So you must know what you're talking about for yeah, one, yeah, yeah, you know, but then she's prepared to, to, to play in sixth grade. Um, so I don't think starting them later is you're not that far behind the eight ball. So pushing them in too early, I think is something that's, uh, you know, something to be concerned about. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Okay, well, that, that kind of is uh, sets us up perfectly there. So diving into basketball a little bit more specifically, I know you you know you do a lot with shooting. So what are some common mistakes that you see in a lot of youth with uh, shooting technique and things like that? Yeah, um, shooting technique. One is uh, probably the, the base. Um, there's not enough form shooting that's being taught. So I think in, in teaching shooting isn't, isn't uh, an easy thing to do. Because you were a great shooter doesn't mean you can necessarily teach people how to shoot. So again, we're going back to that. If you were fortunate enough to have, for me, my dad was a coach and um, a youth coach. Then I had older brothers and sisters who taught me the right way. Like, you know, they went to camp. So they came back and they taught me how to shoot the right way. So fortunately, I grew up having a, a, a good technique in terms of, of um, uh, form and things like that. One of the things you're seeing now is there's kind of the um, there's your shot and there's the textbook shot. Mm-hmm. So it's really trying to meld the two together. And it depends when you get when you get players. Um, the hardest thing is getting a young player to 
have the focus to do the basic boring work of form shooting and, you know, elbow, you know, beef, a lot of people call it beef. I don't really use that, but I have my own drills and techniques. What you're saying is, is weak lower bodies that are shooting three point shots. So again, coming back to the three point shot, the height of the basket, you're seeing Steph Curry, you're seeing Clay Thompson, you're seeing Steve Novak, you're seeing Marcus Howard be able to shoot. And obviously as a youngster, that's what you want to do. You want to go out there and just shoot. And when you make one out of 15, you made it because you got lucky, right? right. <laughs> so, you know, you look back to uh, Reggie Miller or Larry Bird, I would, you'd never teach someone to shoot that way. But because all they, all they did was shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot, their shot became so good and so comfortable and so consistent for them that it worked. <clears throat> but if you're going out and just, you know, shooting three point shots and your knees aren't staying over your toes, they're coming in. Obviously there's uh, uh, opportunity for injury, mm -hmm. but then that throws off the whole rest of your mechanics. So the lower body and the upper body not working in concert together is a big problem. And yep. so we start from, you know, feet and floor through follow through and trying to get everything to meld together. And that starts with shooting close to the basket and then working our way out. So the biggest thing is, is getting your players, if you're a youth coach um, or a parent, is to shoot close to the basket first. You know, yeah, you're going to have your times where you're going to go on the playground and you're going to jack threes and that's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, but starting with the, the lower body first and getting that strong, and that's where, you know, going to somebody, um, working on balance probably is the biggest thing, which is, you know, obviously something that you would work on or, you know, Steve at Athlete Performance, and it's things that I do, um, working on balance and having both feet and both legs sharing the load. So it's 50, it's 50, 50. Mm -hmm. So what happens with you shooters is if I'm a right-handed shooter, I'm going to, if I want to get the ball to the basket, I'm going to rock and lower my right shoulder, lean heavy on my right side, and then push the ball across my body to get the ball to my target. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing is then obviously that one thing always leads to another, as you know, so weak lower body, small hands leads to two hand shots. Yeah. Right. And pushing the ball. So shooting is a one handed activity. So getting that hand under the ball in the middle of the ball, elbow right behind the hand and in line over our right hip and our right knee is really, really important. And then using our, in this case, my left hand being a right handed shooter. A lot of people call it a guide hand. I call it a balance hand. Really, that is only there to keep the ball in your shooting pocket. Yeah. Um, so base, elbow out, shooting with two hands, um, lack of rotation. And usually what I just described leads to lack of rotation. Yeah. So that ball is not rotating the right way. And instead of, you know, missing long is okay. Missing short and missing right or left are the things that we need to, to really focus on. Yeah. That's interesting. I loved a lot of what you said. And, um, you know, something that we talked to, people about in, in all sports of just make, make sure we, when we talk to coaches in particular, like make sure the athletes physically able to do the things that you're asking them to do. You know, if, mm -hmm. if um, they, 
you know, you kind of said about the connection from their legs to their arm. It's like, well, if they, the kid can't skip and like sequence his legs and his arms, like he's going to have a hard time sequencing that in the shot. So, um, you know, just even working on some of those basic things or yeah, if he's not strong enough to actually get the ball there, then it's going to lead to all these things. And you can save a lot of lesson time and effort and, and things like that by, by just making sure the athlete's physically able to do what you're asking. Right. And there's a lot of, whether it's a coach or a parent that they use buzzwords, you know, use your legs. Yeah. Okay, well, what, what does that, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? Right. You know, um, follow through. Well, what does that mean? And why do I need to do it? So like you talked about sequencing. So when I do a shooting clinic or work with a particular shooter or group of shooters, there's a, there's a sequence of how we go through a shooting Academy, starting with, you know, the base all the way up to, the follow through. Um, when I was a shooter and growing up, I had maybe one or two form shooting exercises that I was lucky enough to learn. I think freshman year in high school, maybe where now I've got probably a package of 20 different, um, form shooting, uh, exercises that focus on for one, just that ball in the shot pocket that, you know, kind of that number one exercise, you know, up and through elbow, elbow to eyebrow, five fingers to the floor, hand in the cookie jar. That's your most basic, but then you build from there. So then it's a matter of how do you catch, get into your footwork and then shoot with tempo and balance through your shot. My philosophy is, you know, you can't shoot far and fast if you can't shoot short and slow. You've got to be able to shoot short and slow because that tempo is really, really important because when you count in your head, just like playing a musical instrument, you know, there's that tempo, right? The tempo of a song and the tempo of, you know, holding a note. It's the same thing with shooting. And when you hold that, you count and you use that tempo, that creates your balance. And then what we always tell, what I always tell my shooters, if you're going through an exercise and I give you, your tempo is three. So as you start your, your progression in the exercise, one, two, three, and then our shot should be out of our hand. If at one and a half, you're falling, leaning, stop, start over, do that rep all over again, yeah. right? Because a bad rep takes away more than a good rep adds. And that's, I've taken that from Drew Hanlon and that's, that's entirely true. Yeah. Um, so getting the players to slow down and focus and the younger they are, the harder it is to do that, but it's, it's really, really necessary. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's awesome. So this is a uh, sort of off topic and just my, my own personal interest, but Obviously, you're a great shooting coach. You know, you could take me and, and probably make me a, you know, from a terrible to, you know, an above average or good shooter. But there's got to be something different about, you know, I'm a little biased as a Marquette guy, but, you know, mm-hmm. the Steve Novaks, the Marcus Howers, the Steph Currys. I mean, those guys, it's like, it's automatic. Like, I don't care how much I practice shooting, I don't think I could ever be that good. So, yeah. um, you know, do you, what do you, what's different about those guys? Just, God-given talent, uh, something between the brain and the hands. What do you uh, What do you see from a coaching perspective? Yeah, I think when you look at so the players that you named, I'll go through. So Steve Novak, dad was a, dad was a coach, right? So there's some genetics, and then there's obviously he's been taught the right the right way. Yeah, obviously the right way, and then his access to. For one is passion and to be able to get repetitions, right? The right way. Marcus Howard, the same thing. He trains with 
his older brother in, in um, Chandler, Arizona, and he's got him doing the right things. Then there's Steph Curry. Um, I was an intern with the Bucks, um, 1998-ish, I believe, George Carl's first year. Del Curry was on the team. Yeah. So I was able to get there and watch, and I saw Del Curry go through his shooting routine. He's, he's, I don't know how many people have gone back, like, so the younger generation, the, the 20-year-old kids or the 15-year-olds or the 10-year-olds and go, you know, go back and watch Del Curry shoot the ball. I mean, that guy was, his form was just phenomenal, even though Steph shoots it different. Um, the thing is that makes them different is I think for one athleticism, yes, I think their coordination and their motor skills and their, uh, that, but the sheer amount of, of repetitions doing it the right way, uh, you know, the old saying, if you don't do, you don't do it till you get it right. You do it until you can't get it wrong, yeah. you know, in a game. And so I think they understand that piece of it. Um, and I think shooters that aren't maybe necessarily as good, haven't had that that training and that being, being uh, able to understand uh, why things happen the way they happen. Well, why do you miss? And I think when I work with my 11 year old or my 17 year old now, we get to the point where if you miss two in a row, okay, well, why now tell me why did you miss? So they understand their body, the way their, their body moves after they've done it enough. So where, when I shoot, I can tell you, all right, I didn't get long enough in my upper body, like a pitcher or somebody that throws a baseball where they really get that ball back and through. So if I miss short, I know it's either my base, I didn't have my legs into that shot, obviously, or I didn't get long enough through. And after I do, after I shoot enough, I know whether I had an extra half inch that I needed to extend that would, that, you know, I didn't. So it led to that shot being short. So I think just that brain, like you talked about, that brain body um, synergy and that communication and being able to feel, you know, shooting is so much about feel. Um, you know, we talked about Steve Novak and we've done um, camps and clinics together and things like that. And we've obviously talked about shooting. And one of the questions that I would get asked was, well, what, what should I be looking at? Like, what should my target? Like you see people that sell, um, there's companies that sell all types of these gimmicky yeah. type things where they put rings around the rim like different colors and like you should focus on if i'm shooting from the right wing i should be looking at that you know the part of the rim that has the red little ring on it yeah. i don't i don't shoot that way i don't i've never yeah. shot that way so steve and i were talking like and i asked him before i told him my answer but i said okay so what do you focus on you know when you shoot what do you aim at He's like, you really don't aim at it. And my analogy was, if you ever saw that Seinfeld episode where you, the, the picture, you know, that yeah. computerized art, it's kind of like that. It's, it becomes such a feel thing. Uh, and it's not a visual thing. You know, yeah. we saw Michael Jordan shoot the free throw with his eyes closed. It wasn't a visual thing. It was a repetitional thing. It's a repetition thing. So I think like a golf swing, uh, shooting, the more you can do where it's a feel thing, yeah you know the, the, that that's kind of where that's kind of what shooting is all about too in, in my book and that comes from repetition and and not getting bored with the basics and going through your your sequencing of form exercises from three feet to five feet to eight feet to ten feet to twenty feet 
you know, then you become Steve Novak and, and Marcus Howard to where you can go out and consistently shoot, you know, 42% from the three point line or whatever it is. Yeah. I think it, you know, with, with, I think especially kids don't realize is they might shoot 42% in a game with the stress and the pressure and the competition and, and the, you know, hands on their faces, you know, you go stand in a gym, you know, which right. you and I have had an opportunity to do. I mean, those dudes don't miss. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's just, uh, that's playing it. And you're right. You lead to that, that point where, you know, there's the form stuff and they're shooting where your repetition, we're just, you know, you're with, you know, you got a shooting machine or you got, you know, somebody passing you the ball. There's no defense. And I always tell my players, my shooters, even at the young age, if you're a professional basketball player and or, or high level college or whatever it is, and there's no defense and you're getting up a hundred shots or 200 shots or whatever it is, what should your shooting percentage be with no defense? And I always ask them that as like an open-ended question for one, a lot of them don't know their numbers. And I always tell them like, you got to know your numbers. Like, what did you shoot? What's your shooting percentage from the free throw line? What did you shoot last year? You know, from the field, from the three point line. And if you're a professional and you're getting in your hundred shots or 200 shots or whatever it is, you're making 80 to 85% with no defense. So then that's when you go into the game and they cut that in half. Right. And that's where you're shooting, you know, 42 or 45%. So if you do a shooting drill and a shooting workout and it's a two minute time drill and you get up 50 shots and you make 15 of 50, you're not a good shooter. Yeah. You need, you need, you need help somewhere along the line. Right. Yeah. Yeah, So kind of like going to school, you you know, you're going to practice and practice and practice when you take that test, what are you going to, what are you going to get on it? So, um, yeah, numbers are numbers are a big deal. Yeah, yeah. no, that's uh, that's awesome. Um, okay, so let's uh, do a little little uh, case study. So, okay, um, if I give you a player and they wanted to make a big jump in a year, so maybe they made the B team, they want to make the A mm-hmm. team, maybe they're on JV, they want to make varsity, or maybe mm-hmm. they're they aren't being recruited and they want to try to set themselves up. But they've got to said like, coach, I've got a year. I'll do everything you ask me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what what would you what kind of recommendations would you do to or make for them to try to see that type of improvement? Uh, for one, they've got to whatever their goal is, they've got to write down their goal, and then they've got to develop a plan, um, almost like a SWOT analysis, like in business. So right, your strength, your weaknesses, your opportunities, your threats. Yeah. So you kind of got to really start with, and you got to be cerebral, and you've got to be kind of intellectual and an academic about it. I think, and you, you need someone to help you get there. Whether it's someone that, you know, like me, who's a professional coach or a parent or an uncle or a brother or sister, have someone that's going to help hold you accountable because it's easier to do it or a teammate for that matter, you know, a friend, a teammate, have somebody that's there that's going to help you and and keep you accountable and, you know, ask questions and get you up in the morning to, to, you know, to get in, to go to work out. Uh, One, and I think one thing is what if you look at that SWOT analysis, well, what are your strengths? What are you really good at? And emphasize those strengths and don't necessarily take your three weaknesses and try to create those three weaknesses and get them to, you're not going to get in a year, those three weaknesses to get into that, those to add those three to the, your strength pile. Yeah. So I'd really focus on, you know, 75% of what you already do really, really well, continue to do that really, really well. So if yeah. you're, um, 
if you're a guard and you're you're a, you're a pretty good shooter, but um, you know you're a really really good finisher or you've got a good finish package, continue to work on those finishes and add more to that to those finishes, right? And yeah. then add that that component of shooting that that shooting um, component to it. Um, do the things that require effort and energy and make sure those things are never left on like those coaches got to notice like rebounding is an effort and an energy thing it's not necessarily a technique thing so those things that's going to separate you from everybody else um i think character is huge so if we're not necessarily talking about a specific skill but we're talking about character what coaches are going to look at if you're talking about a JV player, maybe going to varsity or, or going to college, you know, coaches are going to look at how do you warm up? How do you interact with your teammates? How do you take coaching? How do you react to uh, officials whistle good, bad, or otherwise? Um, those things are really, really important that often get overlooked strictly by the skill. Yeah. The other thing is I would say work with um, a professional. So whether it's um, a performance person. So if, if you know, you're a little slow footed uh, on defense, because it, uh, defense is really, really important. I know everyone wants to practice offense, but defense is really, really important. If you can shut guys down and you can defend, you know, in the post and you can defend uh, a guard, um, you know, those things are really important that you don't neglect those in the off season, you know, yeah. so getting stronger, getting quicker, those things are really, really important. But then, like I said, is, is have that plan and do it with somebody and then keep checking in and measure, re- measure your results. Um, so if, again, if being a shooting guy, if I'm, you know, working with a shooter and they shot uh, 55% from the free throw line, then well, what's our goal for you? next year what's a realistic goal for you can we get you to 20 percent? can we get you 75 percent? right um then that's something that we continue to work on and it's step by step by step um so it's having that plan it's working that plan it's checking in and then recalibrating kind of as you go through yeah i uh i love that i'm gonna mess up the exact statistics but uh there's something with goal setting that like it's about the the number of goals that get completed or percentage of goals that get completed. If it's not written down is like uh 15%, something like yeah. that percentage of goals that get completed. If it's written down is like 50 or 60%, something like that. And then right. the percentage of goals that you have an accountability partner for, that's going to hold you to that goal that got written down. It goes up to like 85 to 90% of those goals end up getting accomplished. And um, I think the other thing with goals is, kind of like what you said with the SWOT analysis, like to come up with a goal, you have to have an understanding of what your actual weakness is and yeah. what's going to actually improve that. Like, um, I, I think that's one of the things that sometimes people just aren't very realistic. Like, right. Um, you know, if you can't dunk, like, is that realistic? And is that yeah. really going to help you with your goal? <laughs> right, right, right. If you, if, yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're the if you're the seventh play or eighth player on the team, and you say you know, and you average four point five points a game, your goal it's got to be realistic and it's got to be measurable, right? Yeah. So you can't say, well, I want to be a twenty three, you know, that next year I want to I want to average twenty three. No, let's let's make it real. Let's make it realistic. 
that yeah. that's like you said that's that's probably um the number one thing is let's let's take that we, we want to challenge ourselves but we may go from 4.5 you know to 10 and that that's that's realistic yeah. um for sure yeah and then having a plan of how are you going to do that yeah no that's awesome um, all right. Last, uh, last question on the basketball side here. Um, I saw kind of looking at your website that you guys are doing some stuff with, um, with online training. Um, how's, how's that going? How, how have you found that to be? I'm going to date the episode a little bit. We're in the middle of the, uh, uh, coronavirus shutdown. So I, I personally have just shifted my business to hundred percent online. So, uh, uh, I'm curious to, uh, to what you guys are doing with that. Yeah, we, um, we're doing it, it. It's something we want to do. Joe and I have talked a while that we wanted to do it um, to be able to put content online um, for players and, and having gym challenges and things like that. Um, and just to, to broaden our reach, but this has really forced us to, it's forced our hand, which is um, obviously it's not the circumstances we wanted to do it under, but it's, I, it, it's kind of been, I think for players, it's, and I've expressed this through email and social media um, with people in our program. I mean, this is really a gift of time for you. It's, it's, if you just look at it kind of with blinders on like, Oh my gosh, I have, normally I would be going from, you know, club or school ball right into that AU season. And you think about it for me, I think about it in terms of shooting mechanics and it takes, if we're tweaking a shot, or we're doing a shot surgery where we're actually transforming an entire shot. It takes anywhere from 30 to 90 days to really be able to impact that shot to where next season in a game, you're going to be consistent with that change. Yeah. So this is really a gift. And for us, the challenge has been um, for us, we can't get in a gym. I mean, we're locked out just like everybody else. So um, I have my 11 year old filming, you know, filming me in the backyard, <laughs> but that's totally, you know, it's totally fine. It's not, you know, that's the way you and I grew up. So, um, it, you know, it, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and I think our players are so used to technology that, um, it's, and the, and the blessing is they can go back and watch it, try it, go back, watch it again, watch it again, watch it again, yeah. we'll try it. So they have really that opportunity to really um, make big strides in their development because if we were doing it live and let's say we had, I don't know, 30 players in a gym and we're doing uh, an hour worth of finishing and we want to get in four different types of finishes, maybe if there's 30 kids in the gym, 20 of them are going to get it. 10% are still going to lose out on like that ability to have us go back and reteach it. Like there's just not enough. Yeah. Teachers, where if it's online they can go and if it's a two-minute video on i don't know a euro finish or whatever you know pick your skill they can take their phone outside watch it try it watch it again and there's so much opportunity to master it really really or, or pick, make big strides right away because they've got it at their disposal yeah. um and so uh we are seeing some of it is paid, some of it is subscription based because we're not able to charge and get camp kids can in for yep. spring break camps and things like that. So we have some subscription based things that are going pretty well. Um, I'm launch, I'm launching an online or a virtual one-on-one -on -one, um, shot analysis and shot fix um, uh, through virtual, virtual learning 
Um, we're going to launch that this weekend and, and have people sign up for that. So um, there's, there's obviously snafus and technical difficulties with Zoom and with um, whatever platform you're using. Yeah. But for the most part, it's really, it's not that difficult to do. I yeah. think it's just shifting that habit, which is a little bit different. And the other thing is when we get players in a gym, we're high-fiving. You know, we're taking charges. We're patting people on the back. You know, we're, you know, we're, you know, hugging people we know well. So you, you lose that part of it. But from a skill development um, opportunity, I think it's, it's something that if you look at um, kind of in a, in a vacuum, it can be a really good opportunity for everybody. No, I agree. That's kind of what we've, uh, we found too. It's like, you know, your rehab shouldn't stop because everything shut down and right. um, we're doing the same thing. We've shifted a hundred percent online visits and mm-hmm. we found, I, I found it, it's actually gone really well. There's very little that we're not able to do. I think it's really helped me, um, in terms of teaching, uh, yeah. it's taken, it's taken, you know, you can't just, well, just get out of the way. Let me just show you, you know, right. I've got to figure out how can I connect this when I'm not right there. I think it's, it's helped me develop uh, some of that as well, um, you know, to, to improve myself. Yeah, no, I agree. That communication piece too. Now we can go back and when you're doing it live, it's still live. When you're doing it, you know, I can edit and get it, get it down and retake it, yeah. uh, reshoot it or whatever, the, the minute and a half that I want to get it across. But then I know that when I'm delivering that content, if it's taped and we put it up on YouTube for our players to watch that, they're getting it exactly how we want it to be done and taught. So it's actually better. You know what I mean? Sometimes than when you do it live, because you know, there's times where you go back home and if you taught a class or you had a session with a a client or a player or whatever, and and you're like, I didn't explain that very well. Like I I should have said this when I said that. So now you kind of have that ability to go back and edit and make it, make it perfect so that they're getting a better lesson and a better product in the end. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I agree. I think in, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, it's, it's not going to lie. It's going to be pretty clear for the athletes who, who did something during this shutdown and who yeah. used it as an, ex- an, as an excuse to sit on the couch, eat Cheetos and, and watch Netflix. And exactly. uh, it's going to, it's going to show out who, who put in the work and who took advantage of it and who, who did not Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the way we grew up is it, you know, we're, weather didn't matter like that was never an excuse like it, we you shoveled the the driveway and you went and shot or you went in the garage and you did your ball handling or you went in the basement and did your ball handling so yeah there's this is an opportunity it's not it shouldn't be a setback so you shouldn't come in that much more rusty than yeah. you know than yeah. you normally would so yeah no absolutely yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to kind of wrap up here. We usually do just a couple of fun little questions at the end to let people, yeah. uh, let people get to know you a little bit better. Um, so I know you grew up uh, as a basketball player and, and baseball player. What was the, uh, what was your career highlight? Oh, my career highlight. Um, I would say, Hmm. I think my last game as a, uh, my last high school basketball game, I, I scored 29 in a, in a, playoff in a playoff game against green bay notre dame nice and when i went to college at lacrosse well we were sitting around a barrel having a having a (laughs) having a drink and whoever i was talking to said um you know we talked about where we went to school and i and he's like oh we played you in basketball that last game and 
he didn't recognize my face, but he's like, who is that number or whatever? He had like 30 or whatever. He's like, we got chewed out at halftime because we couldn't stop him. I'm like, oh, that, that was me. So that was a good way to, that was a good way to end my, uh, my high school career. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. What's a, uh, what's a, uh, older player, a player that's not, not currently playing that, um, you think more young players should, should go and watch some highlights of? Hmm. That is a great question. Um, an older player that someone should go watch. Um, I would say a guy like Sidney Moncrief, if you're going back to like the Bucks, yeah. I think um, defense, I think he was named defensive player of the year a couple of times. He could shoot, he could drive. Um, uh, he wasn't super flashy, but uh, fundamentally he was, uh, he was very good. That was somebody back in the past, but jumping off to somebody that I always tell my shooters to, to watch now yeah. is, uh, is Chris Middleton. Okay. Like he's, he's the guy that I tell, like yeah. if we're working on shooting and free throws and being relaxed. Like he's the guy that I always say, uh, you know, take a look at that guy. So yeah, Sidney Moncrief for uh, now uh, Chris Middleton. Okay. I like it. Um, and then what's a, what about, what's a go-to move that every basketball player should have or a move that everybody, every basketball player should have in their, in their bag? I don't know if it's necessarily a move. I would say it's a finish. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a stride finish. So it's, um, I'll take you back to my grade school days. I was fairly athletic and I was long and I played on the top of a one, three, one and we'd get a lot of steals and I would get a fast break layup and I'd be going so fast and I would be jumping pretty high and I would always overlay because I was always jumping off my left foot. I was a one foot jumper. And then people started saying, well, jump, stop, jump, stop, jump, stop. But when you jump stop, and you'd probably appreciate this um, as uh, um, in your profession, but when, if you make a really strong jump stop and you jump and land on both feet and both knees, take the brunt of that, like there's a chance of injury. So I always teach a stride finish, which is outside foot, inside foot, jumping off two and finishing that way. Because especially on the you side, um, because you have the opportunity to get under control, um, slow down your momentum gradually, and then finish and then take contact at the same time. So stride, finish inside hand, outside hand. Yeah. All right. Last one. And they, uh, you know, since everything's shut down, what's a, uh, what's your favorite Milwaukee restaurant that we should, uh, we should be supporting in the, uh, in the shutdown right now? Oh, my favorite. Um, the Hale House in uh, Hale's Corners is my uh, is my favorite. It's um, awesome. It's pretty small, but I've never had anything there that I, I have disliked. So. All right. Awesome. Well, Dave, I really appreciate your time today. It was a great conversation. And I hope that the Milwaukee area basketball athletes are able to take a lot away from this interview. Um, where can listeners find out more about you and, and what you're doing? Um, you can go to, uh, there's two websites. So we have Chapman Basketball Academy, which is um, our, um, our website. And then I have my own Chapman South website. So it's um, uh, chapmanself.com. And then there's different pages for our academy teams. Um, there's my Dave Minkowski shooting camp page on there. And then social media as well. So um, uh, uh, I have two Chapman, uh, Chapman South. Uh, let, let me think. Um, Chapman Basketball Academy South, and then uh, Dave Metkowski at Dave Metkowski for um, Instagram and Twitter. Okay, perfect. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we get those in the, in the show notes for everybody. Um, I want to thank you again for, for your time, and then I want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.
Thanks, Michael. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.